And last week we uh, started in Matthew 28, verse 18, and I looked at the two sentences sandwiched into the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, All power and authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we looked at that, that the gospel message has to be a secure salvation. Without a secure salvation, you really don't have good news. Because the news you have is come ride this emotional roller coaster of doubt and fear with me. Wonder each day if my sins and failures undid, canceled out my salvation. And I think, I think God's a little bothered with me. I think he's disappointed in me. And, and these are the thoughts that Christians who don't understand the salvation that Christ has given us is based upon himself and himself alone. He did all the work. And now he gives it to us as a free gift. And it's not hinged on what we would do in the future, good or bad. Um, hi there, fellow. Nice to meet you. Um, And so, um, this is the, the gospel that we have. And we've known it so many times. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The sacrifice of all sacrifices. The pure and holy lamb that takes away the sin of the world. God in human flesh. Perfect. A perfect sacrifice. He was human so he could be our substitute. He was God, so everything he did was eternal. And therefore, when he paid for the sins, it was from the very first sin of Adam and Eve to the last sin ever committed, probably by me, by the way. Um, but he took them all upon himself. And he paid for all of them. And because he's eternal, he could do that. So God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, up front, what does it say? You will not perish. The thoughts that God is against you, the thoughts that God's going to judge you, the thoughts that God's going to condemn you, they're gone forever. And so he goes on to say, but not only do you not perish, that would have been enough, but no, that's not. He, but you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And notice there, there's no comma that says, as long as you keep up your end of the bargain. As long as you read your Bible. As long as you tithe. As long as you go to church. As long as you obey everything I've asked you to do. And, you know, we're going to put this on a graduated scale. We expect you're going to be a little weaker the first year. But the tenth year, it's all on you. I'm walking away. I'm stepping away. I'm just watching your holiness from now on. Because after ten years being a Christian, you should have had this down by now. God does no such thing. He actually tells us. He knows our frame. He knows we're but dust. As a father pities a child, so the Lord pities us. And in advance, he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. That Paul, the great apostle, probably 15 years, 20 years now, as an apostle, says in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. 
Who will save me from this body of flesh? What's the answer? Thanks be through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Listen on in John, past 3.16. Look at John 6.37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, what? I will by no means cast out. You look in the Gospel of John right here, chapter 6. He says this four times. We're not going to look at all of them today. But John 6.39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given to me, I would lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. Every single person God has called unto himself will come into the Son and through the Son to the Father, lacking none. Jesus didn't die on the cross and go, man, I died for all of these people, but I hope it's a bigger percentage that actually make it. I I hope that 80% of the 100% I chose would make it. No. 100% of those who come into him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 10, 27 to 29, he doubles down. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He says it again, right? John three sixteen just sort of flipped. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You're not going to snatch yourself, somebody else, a demon. Nobody's going to snatch you out of God's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. When it says the Father is greater than I, it's this very specific Greek word, means simply in authority, which is true. In the Trinity, God the Father is the first person, the Son's the second person, and the Holy Spirit's the third person. And so we need to understand that the message we're going out into the world is that you are accepted in God forever. You're a part of his family. He accepts you in this loving relationship as a father to a child, a shepherd to a sheep, a man to his future bride, best friends. All of these are analogies he gives us in our relationship with him. Get it. In John 17, listen to this. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, the disciples in front of him, But then he prays for us. But also those who believe in me through his word. Jesus right here, 2,000 years ago when he was in human flesh, prayed for us. In verse 21, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. How is the world going to believe that we've been sent by God? Because they see the oneness that we are in the Father and in the Son, and the Father and the Son are in us, and we're in Him, and He's in us in this perfect unity. He goes on to repeat this in John 17, verse 22. The glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that you sent me. He says it again. And that you have loved them as you've loved me. What's the world going to see? They're going to see our security, our hope, our confidence, our certainty in salvation. And that God never looks upon us outside of himself. Every time he looks at you, you are in Christ. 
You are in the Father. You are in Him. And He is in you in a perfect unity. And yes, in this flesh, we stumble and fall constantly. Romans said, we've all have sinned, past tense, but are continuously, presently falling short of the glory of God. Is that true? I mean, I could take my best day in record of being a Christian. And if I compared my best day of righteousness in this human flesh and put it before the holiness of God, it would be like filthy rags, right? Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. It's only his righteousness that gives us hope. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become. Our nature now is seen through the eyes of God as righteous, as the Son is righteous, and that is forever. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, and salvation is a gift. There's no way around that. And therefore, we have a gospel message. Go into all the world and tell them this, that God loves them. He sent his only begotten son to die for them. They do not need to perish. Ecclesiastes says everybody has eternity in their hearts. We know that there's something after this life. Even the atheists who harden their heart and say, nope, once I'm dead, I'm dead. I just become fertilizer for the grass to grow greener. That's all there is to it. They're not convincing because they know in their own heart of hearts that they are eternal and that this body that we're living in is just one temporary place. We're going to go on to live again in a different body. One where you reject the salvation God gives. And the Bible says they're cast into outer darkness forever and ever. And those who believe upon him, he makes them righteous. He gives them eternal life. He writes their name in the book of life. They shall never perish. But to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And so our message is essential. <laughs> because man may die of a disease, but that's not the worst possible thing, is it? Our message is more essential during this COVID time than ever before. Because men are dying without Christ. Well, going on today in part two of this message, and um, it only took me 16 minutes to re-say last week. You say, why didn't you say it in 16 minutes last week? I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. It's, the, it's a preacher gene. I can uh, make anything longer than it should be. Um, but anyway, in, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, this is your call. Not to just those that were with them, but to those who would believe through their word. Will you come and be a disciple? That's what Jesus is asking. I, I do think that we've invented this thing through Billy Sunday and through Billy Graham and and a lot of billies, evidently, um, that said, pray this sinner's prayer. And, and that was an a essential thing to do. But yet we don't find that in the Bible. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's bad for people to step, stand up and come forward like they do at a crusade. 
But that's not what the Bible says. He doesn't call for that. I think it's extra biblical. -biblical. It's not unbiblical. It's a wonderful thing. So the evangelist counts them as soon as they pray that prayer. But the pastor doesn't count them until they've been walking with the Lord for six months. Because our call is to follow Jesus. I remember one of my leaders, when I pastored at Calvary Chapel, San Diego, he had been with us for oh, a long time. And we were one night talking about how we came to the Lord. And he goes, I, I've never come to the Lord. I, I've never prayed a prayer. I never went forward. Well, what happened? He goes, well, I was on the Navy ship and they took me to a Bible study. I thought it was pretty interesting. And, and so I got a Bible. And I started reading it and kept going to the Bible study. And I came to the church and I've just been following Jesus and, and obeying what everything I can to obey and asking God's strength to obey him and follow him. And that's all I've ever done. It's like, yeah, I think you got, I think you got it right. <laughs> he never had a moment walking forward at a church. He never had a moment of signing up at a crusade afterwards. He just started following Jesus. Isn't that the way it looked in Jesus' time? Did he stop, Peter? Okay, before you follow me, it's pray the sinner's prayer. It's just follow me. See, that's the real proof in the pudding. It is not praying some prayer and never showing up to church again, never following, never reading the Bible, never following Jesus. No. We are called to be disciples. There's two parts of this. One is being, the word disciple is learner or student. And the other part is helping those we affect to become a learner and a student. So we follow Jesus, learn about all his teachings, and then we help others to do the same. The first step in the call of a discipleship is to become a born-again believer to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And this is receiving, is saying, I, I, you are Lord, you are God, you are creator. You sent your son to die on a cross and I submit my life to you. That's receiving him. In John 1, 12 and 13, it says, as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, born again, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but it was of God. He preordained it. He elected it before the foundations of the world. And now in time, we are receiving Christ. But he saw it before time began. In John 10, verse 9 through 13, listen to this. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I love that verse because it's exactly what the thief on the cross did. He didn't do anything for his salvation, except believe in this incredibly loving, gracious God who paid for our sins and provided a way of salvation. In verse 10, For with the heart one believes into righteousness, with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. I think that's typically what happens, but you have a lot of people that are mute, that can't speak. You have a lot of people on deathbeds. I, I can't tell you how many times, more than I can count. Where somebody will say, man, my dad's dying. He doesn't know the Lord. He's been a stubborn guy his whole life. And I'll go in and say, hey, your kids wanted me to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to share the, the simple message of Christ. And, and I know you can't talk. they got tubes and you're barely in and out of consciousness. But if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, just squeeze my hand. They haven't moved in days, but man, they give a giant squeeze. 
They didn't confess with their mouth, but if they had the opportunity, I think they would have. And he goes on in Romans 10, 11 to say, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is, listen, rich to all who call upon his name. Whoever calls on his name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody, no matter how sinful or wicked of a life you've lived, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And the second step there is now um, becoming that learner and that student. In John 8.31, Jesus said this. He said this to those Jews who believed. If you abide in my word, Psalms 1 said meditate in it day and night. You're always chewing on it like a cow chewing on his cud. You never are not chewing on it. Even in the night watches, wake up in the middle of the night, you're chewing on God's word. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. For you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. These are describing a disciple, one who digs into the word, one who realizes that the, the, the Bible's not a big butter knife, it's a sharp razor blade. And the truths of God are there. And sometimes it looks like, wow, how do these two verses go together? It seems like they're sort of at opposite ends. But yet as you go through the scripture, know the nature of God. Yes, you're rightly dividing it. You're getting that razor blade sharp interpretation that really is the truth that will set you free. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally in the Greek, it's God breathed. Just like he breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Here, he breathes into all of the Bible we have and it causes us to have life and faith. So all scriptures, God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's all of us, may be what? Complete. That word can also be translated perfect or mature. Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, for life and godliness. And then we simply follow Jesus' example. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So now we're just making it look like Jesus made it look when he was on earth with his disciples. It's just a day-to-day thing, simply learning of Christ and walking in it. The next part is teaching them, in verse 20, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So now we just go in everything Jesus taught. And boy, that's a key thing, because here at Calvary Chapel, we teach verse by verse of the whole Bible. Very, very, very few churches outside of Calvary Chapel do that. A lot of them will teach through the New Testament only, but we teach all of it. Because we believe all the scriptures inspired of God. But also, God commands it. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, listen, that we may present Him perfect, complete, mature in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to the workings which works in me mightily. 
In Ephesians 4, he says the same thing in the Ephesus church. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, complete, mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're to keep growing until we come into that maturity that we are walking even as Christ walked. Paul commanded Timothy to do this. He wasn't, he wasn't pastoring and, and making a discipleship church. See, the church of the New Testament was that. Everybody received Christ. They become a learner. Everybody they bump up to, their spouse, their family, whoever they share the Lord with, they say, here's a Bible or here's how we study the scripture. And, and they start following and studying the scripture as well. But Timothy wasn't pastoring the way he should. And so Paul had to instruct him. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That what, that's what we did last week. And that's what we did in the intro today. Get strong in the grace. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There it is. So my exhortation to you today is answer that call to be a disciple and to begin to share your faith. Do unto others as somebody did to you. I, I, I'll never forget a testimony of a man who used to work here in L.A. and he moved to San Diego. He said, I had this Christian guy in our group of engineers and I persecuted that guy and everybody joined with me. We, we mocked him and made fun of him and, and he would have scriptures around his desk and, and he would just share scriptures with us even though we would just brutalize. We really constantly tormented that man. But that went on for about five years. And about 10 years later, every verse that guy said came to mind. And I was so deeply convicted and I sought out the church. I received the Lord. And I'll tell you what, it, it took five years of that guy being persecuted for me to become a Christian. But I hope he hasn't stopped. <laughs> I hope the next guy that was stubborn like me, he didn't get weary and say, forget it. It's not worth it. And, uh, and so share your faith. It doesn't stop. In Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return void. It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it to do. The word doesn't die. It stays living. Even if they don't remember it, God will bring it to mind. I love that story in John 4 where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And she finally gets it. This man is telling me he has the way of eternal life. She goes into town to tell everybody, and, and the apostles who went in to get carne asada burritos had come back. They offered Jesus one, and he said, no, I, I've already ate. And they're like, how could you have food out here? There's no food out here. And then he tells them in verse John 4, 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish that work. And then he tells them in verse 35 of John 4, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white, which means they're getting ready to turn and go bad. They're already white for harvest. You're thinking the harvest season isn't coming for a few more months. 
And I'm telling you, it's past. Boy, how could they get that so wrong? And he goes on to say, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others who have labored and you have entered into their labors. Understand, when we're sharing our faith, it's not always people receiving the Lord and following him in that day. Often what we're doing is planting seeds. A lot of times we're just watering somebody else's seed that they planted. And then there are those times when people say, yes, I need Jesus right now. And you're like, man, am I good? All I said is, you're a sinner. God loves you. You need to receive him. And they're like, okay, right now, right now. And they fall on their knees. I want you. And you're like, wow, am I a good evangelist or what? And actually what you're doing is showing up when the plant's ripe. But many others have gone before you planting seeds and others watering it. And many of those people suffering <laughs> under the hands of those people because Satan doesn't like to let go of those, especially those who are called under eternal life. He's got his claws in. He's got them in deep with bitterness often, unforgiveness often, often an addiction to one thing or another. But he's got them running after their flesh, more money, more power, more whatever it is, that lust. They're running, 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 and you're coming and interrupting them. It's like somebody in a deep sleep and you flip on the light and start banging a pan. They're like, ah! They're screaming. But yet they need to get up, and this is the same exact thing. So when we go out, it's not about trying to get everybody to pray the sinner's prayer or to come to church. Matter of fact, well, I, I, I've said for decades, it's not about getting people here to church. I, I'm not asking you, go into all the world and get people to come to church. Share the Lord with them. God's their shepherd. He'll get them to whatever pasture they need. Maybe it's a Pentecostal church or a Baptist church or a Methodist church. I don't know. God will get them there. But typically, if you're the one that shared the truth with them, they want to follow you wherever you go. Whatever Bible study you're going to or whatever church you're going to, whatever ministry you're in, they want to join right at your foothills, and that's normal. But that's not our goal. You just walk up to a guy at the gas pump, and, 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 and you say, Sir, I, I noticed you just started filling up, and you got an SUV there. It's going to take about five minutes. Can I share a verse the Lord gave me this morning? And you just... Quote it the best you can, or maybe you have it on a piece of paper. You, you have it on 10 different papers to give out to people, and you say, here's the verse. God bless you. Have a great day. We're not selling anything. We're not peddling anything. We're just trying to plant a seed, water, share the Lord. What a beautiful thing it is. So people often ask a few questions. One is, well, who do I share this with? And I think the minimal sphere of influence is our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We all typically have those. And then another thing we typically all have is enemies. <laughs> well, I don't want to go to my enemy. Yeah, Jonah didn't either. But you know probably why they're enemy? You know probably why they're your enemy? Because they need to get saved. 
There's a beautiful person inside there who can walk in the image of God. And if you set them free out of the darkness, all of a sudden they quit being your enemy like the Apostle Paul and many others that came to Christ who were enemies of the cross at one time. Other people say, what might it look like that we witness in our regular old world? How how would it look? Now, I'll simply say this, that I, I don't think we're supposed to try to share a verse or try to insert Christ into people we're around all week long. No prophet has honor in his own hometown among his own relatives and co-workers and so forth. I think it is just standing solid as a Christian and walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And then those little tiny opportunities will come up. And that's where your, your witness has been so strong that now a small little word will be sufficient. I don't think God's calling everybody to get a bullhorn and go to the street and start screaming John 3.16 at everybody who walks by. I, I think it's wonderful, those who do that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that they have such success. But I think it's just simply asking questions to people and then be ready to answer them. Do you know the joy of having everlasting life? If you were to die right now, Do you know where you would go? Well, you know what? I'd like to answer that. I have a page right here that asks some questions and there's Bible verses on it. And I'd like to look those verses up with you. So at the end of that page, you can know you have eternal life. Where's such a page? At the end of your notes. If you're out there in in, um, the sky somewhere, you guys who are streaming... Get the notes, the last page. I have what's called the Romans Road, verses out of Romans that explain it all. There's, there's one of a million ways. Some people like tracks. Some people just like to write out a verse God spoke to them each day and hand it to people. But there it is. Ask them the question and then offer to answer that question. If you do want to hand out Bible verses or tracts, you just say these words. Did you get one of these yet? People go, no, I didn't. They overlooked me. I don't like getting overlooked. Give me two of them. It's amazing. Just, did you get one of these? The word of God goes out. It never returns void. It accomplishes what it's sent out to do. So what I've got to hear today is a discipleship book of it's called Strong Christian Foundation. It's by Craig Caster, and you can look up his website, Family Discipleship Ministries, fdmworld.com. And all his material's free. You can just print up one page of it, or you can print up one little half a study, or print up the whole book if you want. And he has it in many different languages. But you could just print up that page that says, you know how you know how you can know. You have eternal life. Print a couple of those pages up. Some of you guys need to do this with your own kids. Some of you need to do this with your own brothers and uncles and aunts and next door neighbors. Just simply say, here's a page and a half. I would like to read these verses with you. Would you let me? A lot of people, the whole book's there. It's seven studies. If you dads said to your son, even if he's grown, hey, Can we get together one hour a week, even if it's on Zoom, they live in another state, and say, and we go through this booklet together. You can do it right online. 
You can print it up. You can get a book. I have a stack of books back there. They're $15 at cost, but take one for free. No problem. But they're there, and, and it'd be amazing how many people you ask, could I go through this workbook with you on learning how to be a Christian? No, get out of here. Okay, you're not called internal life. What's the Bible say? Kick the dust off your feet. Go to the next neighbor. <laughs> the next neighbor's like, wow, that sounds interesting. Well, when would you do it? I don't know. COVID time. We have, we have all the time in the world. You'd be amazed. When people are called to turn a life, it's like picking a ripe tomato. It just falls off the plant, right? And you'll be amazed how many people, I can't tell you that, that often I'll say to people, remember what it was like before you became a Christian. But yet somebody entered your private world and they said, I want to talk to you about spiritual things. Can I ask you a question about spiritual things? And maybe for years, decades, you would have said, I hate you. Get away from me. Don't pray for me. I don't want anything to do with God. I'm an atheist or whatever you'd say. But then there's that day that came where the Lord's been knocking at the door of your heart and you open that door and somebody was able to speak Christ to you. Many seeds were planted in your heart. Many grandmas prayed for you, right? Many seeds were watered. But aren't you glad somebody got brave and did it? Aren't you glad that somebody got outside their own little paranoias and awkwardness and, and approached you? And then after, and then, then another reason that, okay, so the next question often people ask is, how do you get past feeling awkward of sharing your faith? Well, one, I, I think that the society has told you, you have no right to talk to me about spiritual things. That's personal. That's between me and God. God gives you permission. The Lord owns all the heavens and all the earth and everything in it. And God gives you permission to talk to people about their spiritual lives. What gives you the right? I happen to be an ambassador of Christ and he has commanded me to talk to you about your private world, about spiritual things. Secondly, I think people are afraid of rejection. I think especially young people today are really afraid of, of people saying, you're a nerd, you're a Christian, you're horrible, you're evil, you're a racist. And guys, you've got to get over that. You're going to get rejected. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you look at the scriptures, you're going to get rejected more than you have people listen to you. So rejection is definitely a part of sharing your faith. Also, spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't want to let him go. And also, I just practice makes perfect. Once you start opening that facet of your life up, sharing the Lord with people, especially asking them, can I go through this study? Can I read four verses to you? Can I read one verse with you? You'll find that it becomes natural to you. And then after the person receives Christ, just start walking with them, learning God's word, God's plan for their life, and all aspects of their life, their marriage, their kids, their finances, their mouth, the, their work ethic, all the things the Bible talks about, just start walking with them. Let me just ask you a question. Why does this guy, uh, okay. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it God's will that every believer would at least lead one person to Christ in their lifetime? I think it's probably 
one or two a year. <laughs> but don't, don't you think, I mean, the, the facts are, the stats are in, most people will live and die going to church every Sunday, that everybody that does go to church every Sunday, but those people that go to church every Sunday, <laughs> this is the important part, Satan doesn't want you to hear it. Every time I start to tell you, he uh, revs up the motor there. So it's okay. I, I love it. We, we'll just, me and Satan will just touche. And we'll just keep sword fighting until this gets out. Um, it's God's will that you would at least one time in your life. But most people go to church every Sunday for 60, 70 years. Not only will not have shared the Lord with, or not, not led somebody to Christ, they'll never have attempted to do it. They will never have even attempted to do it. I don't know, guys. It's just hard for me to believe that in your maturity in Christ, there's not a point where you would read a Bible verse that would challenge you to take this great gift that God gave you and go give it to somebody else, right? Do we understand this? That this is really who we are. It's in our DNA as born-again believers. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 15, it says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It didn't say be the light. It just says your nature now is. Whether you want to or not, you're shining light. Whether you want to or not, you're creating thirst. You're, you're creating flavor. What happens when you eat a lot of salt? You want to drink, right? This is what you do. You cause people to be thirsty. And it says we're like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Nor... Do they light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? One version said, but, but upon the lampstand so the light can be seen throughout the house. So don't put it under the bed. Don't put it under the bushel. Don't be foolish that way. By nature, you are a witness for Christ. Did you know discipleship even works mathematically? Maybe you remember back in school where your math teacher said, I'll write you a check for a million dollars right now, or you can wait for 30 days and I'll write you a check for a penny that doubles every day. Do you remember that question? And if you have a penny that doubles every day in 30 days, it's worth $5,368,709.12. Now, what about the 31st day? It doubles again. What about the 32nd day? Do you, do you understand how this works? And what if you start the first day with 10 pennies? I'll give you a million dollars right now or 10 pennies that double every day for 30 days. You'd be almost as rich as Donald Trump. <laughs> but um, yeah, not the other guys. So understand that if one of us said, I'm going to go lead one person to Christ this year and I'm going to teach him all year, I'm going to disciple him, I'm going to, we're going to read the Bible and I'll answer his questions and I'll pray for him and things he struggles with and spiritual battle, I'll just walk with him. And at the end of that year, we put into our hearts, the two of us will go share the Lord with two, and lead two people to Christ and disciple them for a year. Do you understand, if you do that math, the entire population of the earth gets saved and discipled a year 
and 40 years or under. The generation, within a generation. But imagine if all of us here and all those live streaming, cool at home, thank you very much. Imagine what would happen if all of us, I mean, imagine what would happen to our lives spiritually if we started sharing our faith. Do you think you'll have the same faith right now you have next year at this time? I think, I think that sharing the faith knocks the crust off us, doesn't it? I, I think that it changes the lukewarm areas of our heart. Because we, we have to start asking ourselves, why did I not share my faith before? Why am I sharing my faith now? Why is it so hard for me? Do I really care? Do I really love people? Why haven't I done this? And I think that your life will start growing spiritually by leaps and bounds after the first person you set out to share the Lord with. I know you guys love the Lord. But don't be foolish and keep hiding that light. In 1 Corinthians 15.34 it says, Awake to righteousness, do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Another story I clearly remember. A guy that, again, was an engineer. We have several in San Diego as well. But, and he did not openly follow Christ. He loved the Lord. He was, he was a leader in the church. He served, but he just thought, I, I don't want to be that guy at work. And one of his best guys in his group, somebody shared the Lord with him. He got radically saved. He came in that next week going, guys, uh, I got to tell you about Jesus. I got born again. And, and he started sharing the Lord. And, and, and then he's trying to lead this guy from my church to the Lord. He said, dude, I, I'm a Christian. I've been one for 20 years. And the guy started getting angry. He, he said, do you know how many times I've wanted to kill myself even in this last year? Do you know how horrible and dark my life has been? How, without direction I've had? And you've been working next to me for all these years? And I had no even idea that you were a Christian. And the guy said, well, I didn't want to make everybody feel uncomfortable by being an on-fire Christian. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, I speak this to your shame. There's some around you who don't even know the knowledge of Christ. I mean, just imagine, this is so unnatural. How many of you guys would walk down a road and see some smoke billowing out of the house and not do something? You realize nobody else around us early in the morning. Would you not go pounding on a door? Would you not call? And get help from the fire department or something? Do you realize how unnatural that would be for you just to keep walking down the street as if you never saw the smoke billowing out of that house? Or what if you're a doctor and you got some test results back from one of your patients and they have a serious infection, but one course of antibiotics will knock it out. And you as a doctor say, man, it's five o'clock. I'm going on vacation for a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll take care of this when I get back. What doctor would do that? By then the infection has grown. In the same way, guys, 
You were once in darkness and somebody brought the light to you. How can we not? I know you love the Lord. First John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, not laws like the Old Testament commandments. His commandments is to love your enemy, pray for you, forgive. But it says this. This is the love of God that you keep his covenant, his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. It's a big, giant wooden block they put on the backs of oxen. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. There it is. Be a disciple. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where are we going to find rest for our souls? Carrying the yoke of Jesus. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God is not giving you a commandment to go into the world and be salt and light as a burden to you. He's telling you this to free you up, to make your life fruitful and joyful. And when you get out of your own little world of awkwardness and of fear and you start sharing your faith, you're going to see there's many other areas of your Christian walk. You start obeying and start rocketing forward. Very practically, if we don't share the faith, people aren't going to get saved. In Romans 10, verse 14 and 15, How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Christ is sending all of us here in Matthew 28. As it's written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. People are going to hear. I mean, God could stick his face out of the clouds and say, hey, listen up, everybody. He could send a host of angels, but he's not doing that. He's leaving it up to us humans to talk to other humans about this. So let us obey and see this mighty hand of God. Interesting in Mark 16 when he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice what he says in Mark 16, 20. They went out and preached everywhere and the Lord working with them. I love that. I don't know how to witness. Just start doing it. The Lord will work with you. And then confirming the word to the company signs. When Christians come to me and say, Well, why don't we see miracles like the Bible talks about? Well, go back and read the Bible. The signs come when you're out sharing the Lord with people who don't know him. You'll start seeing the mighty hand of God. Daniel 11:32. But the people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. I'll just simply say to you, don't be ashamed. In Romans 1:16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. In Mark 8, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Don't feel foolish. This is the number one thing that our society wants you to feel, is that if you're saying Christian doctrine or saying Christian truths, then somehow you're out of place and you're a nerd and you have... You're ignorant. You have no place in in modern society with those old Bible ideas. Don't forget 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 to 25. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the word through wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolish message preached to save those who believe. Do you hear that? God was pleased with that quote-unquote foolish message that was preached to those who would believe. For the Jews requested a sign, Greeks seek for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul was not ashamed. And he said, yes, I, I realize to the Greek, to the intellectuals, it sounds like foolishness, but once you believe, it does, it's not foolish anymore. And this is why he said in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 17, I thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. So to Christ... Whether people receive the Lord or not, it's beautiful to see your feet upon those mountains spreading the good news. It's a beautiful fragrance unto him. And yes, you, you may seem like you failed, but you planted a seed that will never return void, but it'll prosper in that which it was set out to do. You poured some water on a seed. They don't understand what's happening. They're just yelling and screaming, telling you to quit watering them. But you know what's going on. We can't fail. We all only lead in triumph. And don't think you don't know enough. Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 says, I determined not to know anything among Christ and Him crucified. What's the gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15? Here it is. Three things. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. And Christ rose again on the third day. Say it with me. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day. That is sufficient for somebody to get saved. Trust me. You, you, you know enough right now, every one of you. <laughs> and of course, all you got to do is just tell people your testimony. I was blind and now I see. I was hard-hearted and now my heart's tender. I was, I was weighed down with unforgiveness and bitterness and, and now I love and I'm set free. Don't be afraid. Hebrews 13 5 and 6 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace, but the Lord was with them. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and the Lord was with him. Stephen was stoned to death. He died, but he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, and what a testimony he was. But often today, people are more afraid about looking foolish because we're not an atheist like all the real intellectuals are. And uh, we believe in God at all. I mean, how uncool could we be? It's ridiculous, guys. Don't let the world decide what you do as a Christian. Well, the Christian, the world will tolerate me as a Christian as long as I don't. Make it known. 
and that I don't walk as a Christian, that I don't talk about Christianity, and that I don't wear any Christian uh, T-shirts, and that you know, I can be a Christian as long as I am completely neutral and never speak of it, act like it, in any way publicize it. You do this secret little thing Sunday morning while I'm still sleeping and you get back home, that's fine. But outside of that, no, we're not going to listen to what the world says. Don't fear. I love this verse in Roman or in Luke 12:32. Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. Two final verses. Proverbs 11.30 The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Wisest man in the world speaking here, guys. Daniel 12.3 Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And then the last page I gave you is the Romans Road. And I exhort you this week, give that one page to somebody. Put it under their doormat and run away real quick. I, I, be it unto you according to your faith. Go make 100 copies of that. Put it on all your neighbor's doors. Well, they wouldn't like that. They might... Not like me pushing Christianity on. You're right. <laughs> They're in darkness. We can't let the darkness tell us light what we can and can't do. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. We hear these final words out of the book of Matthew. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you are with us to the end of the age. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name now that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, that everybody who hears this message that's here today, <laughs> Satan screaming, all right, those are demons right there that are just screaming. that all those who have heard this today through live streaming are here over the, over the noise of a... Uh, Lord, thank you that your word goes out, never returns void, accomplishes all that it was sent out to do, and prospers. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.